This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In the first part of this talk on modern spirituality, Reggie says that organized religion is not the legacy of the Buddha, nor is the narcissistic materialism that underlies many individualistic approaches to meditation in global culture right now. This talk was given in 2009 at a Dhyana Sangha retreat held at the Blazing Mountain Retreat Center in Crestone, Colorado. You know, I see this particularly because of my role, but in our culture now, and you know, we're talking about modern culture, we're not talking about Western culture, American culture, we're talking about really the global modern culture that is evolving. Um, there's a, there's a work going on. And what the work is, is giving birth to what spirituality needs to be now. You know, what it's going to look like and how it's going to be done. Of course, there are many people in the modern world who think that there is no such thing as spirituality. And um, there are many people who think that the way to be happy is simply to feed oneself at ever more abundant and more sophisticated levels. Feeding ourselves with um, you know, food, with entertainment, with uh, pleasure basically, you know, pleasure seeking. And it starts uh, really when children are very, very small. And as you know, those of you who know the literature, there's a lot of uh, concern among educators that children are being trained as consumers in this culture. That's, we're, we're, we're training them and teaching them that the way to be happy is to just continually consume. And, um, you know, whether we're talking about a pantry that has 20 different kinds of potato chips, so anytime you feel anxious, you can go in and choose from, you know, one of these 20 different types of potato chips, whichever is going to do the job for you at that moment, to uh, cereal, uh, breakfast cereal that, you know, it's no longer good enough that breakfast cereal is one color. Now uh, we have breakfast cereals that have, you know, eight or nine different colors. And what is the difference between, for example, Rice Krispies and Tricks? <laughs> the difference is that with Rice Krispies, the visual the visual impact after a while is actually boring. <laughs> and with tricks, and, and therefore there's a little bit of space in the experience of eating Rice Krispies visually. There's a little bit of space. <laughs> but with tricks and the, you know, all the different colors, all the space is ruled out. And, you know, for some children and even for some adults, tricks is the way to go because tricks rules out any possibility 
of actual direct experience. Well, we have a whole culture like that. And of course, there are increasingly sophisticated ways to um, lure people in to feeding themselves and to really show people that any kind of um, non-narcissistic activity, such as relating to an other person, isn't worth doing because you can always feed yourself to allay your sense of uncertainty or anxiety or openness. You can always feed yourself. There, there are all kinds of different ways you can do it. So admittedly, in our culture, there's a very, in our global culture, there's a very strong trend toward more and more sophisticated kind of feeding. And unfortunately, it also has entered the spiritual sphere. So, uh, you know, it's all about what am I going to get? What am I going to get? And, you know, organized religions are set up with series of promises all along the way. And, you know, often, in fact, I would say most of the time from my observation, what you get is social status. You get the, um, the apparent uh, sense of security that comes from, from studying within a respected and known tradition, from studying with somebody who's famous, from um, doing practices that are uh, designed to make you feel better. So the whole spiritual scene actually is infected with the same exact narcissistic mentality. So we have an entire culture that is going in the direction of narcissism. And narcissism is basically a denial of spirituality. It's basically saying there is no such thing as spirituality. What is spirituality? Letting go of the self. And by letting go of the self, experiencing the world, and one state of being in a, in a very, very vast and endlessly unfolding way. I mean, that's what spirituality is. Narcissism takes the exact opposite approach, that holding steady and feeding my currently existing ego structure is the way to be happy, and that's the fulfillment of life. So, admittedly, there is this very strong narcissistic trend in world culture right now. But at the same time, there is this interesting conversation going on among people all over the world. You know, there's a subgroup about, you know, that doesn't do it. You know, narcissism is not going to produce any kind of final answer. And that basically was the Buddha's insight. That there is something beyond material, psychological, emotional, sexual, social, narcissism. There's something more. That was his basic insight. And I think, you know, within Buddhist tradition, largely that question was lost sight of for a long, long time, except by a very small minority. But now the question is back and it's being discussed in our culture. And a lot of people are working on it. And uh, I see this myself because, you know, I teach and I'm teaching you know, out of the genuine spirituality of Trungpa Rinpoche and his lineage. And, you know, we have a Sangha, we work together. Um, many of us are very uh, clear that this is what we want to do with our life, is transcend narcissism in some kind of fundamental way in order so that life can be abundant in us and that we can actually fulfill the possibilities of our human birth. You know, a lot of us are very clear that that's what we want, ultimately. 
But at the same time, there are a lot of other people who want the same thing. And it's interesting for me to run into a lot of those people and meet them in a lot of different contexts. And what I find is everybody is contributing to the conversation. You know, pretty much everybody that I run into. And this is very much a joint effort. This is not, um, it's not the work of uh, one person or, you know, the legacy of one person like Trungpa Rinpoche the Buddha. It's not, it's not happening just within Buddhist circles. It's actually global. And there are people within every spiritual tradition that I've run into. I mean, they are a minority, but they're people who are working on it. And there are people who don't even identify themselves as spiritual, who are also contributing. So I feel, you know, myself that this is something very vast and it's, um, it's moving forward. And, you know, in a way I feel our job as a Sangha, you know, particularly because Trungpa Rinpoche was so very, very, very clear about it. He had a kind of clarity and a kind of focus that's very unusual. And we're lucky because we inherit that clarity and that focus. Um, you know, our job almost is to gather in the strands and to work together on it as a community and to arrive at, uh, you know, wherever, wherever it is reality wants the human spirituality thing to go now, you know, that's, that's what we're, we're into it and we want to do it. You know, there aren't, the answers are not out there now. And I think that's, I was kind of trying to say that last night, that wherever this conversation is headed, we're not there. We're in, we're in the process, all of us, you know, all over the world. And, um, you know, the, the way we could frame it is to say that the Buddha's legacy is not organized religion. That's not the Buddha's legacy. And this is a very hard thing for traditional Buddhism to hear. And in fact, I think a lot of people within the traditional framework can't hear it. They cannot hear that point. But we as people who are not, uh, you know, we've been through the organized religion thing up, down, and sideways. And, you know, for most of us, you know, and particularly <clears throat> with the benefit of Western thinkers like Marx and Freud and, you know, sociologists like Max Weber, and, um, you know, we have a, there's a lot of sophistication around our realizing the limits of organized religion. But in any case, I think we're in a place now, and we see the Buddha's legacy is not organized religion. Interesting. So what we see in our world today is two alternatives, you know, that are up. And all of us are, are trying to deal with this even in our own psyche and even within our own community. You know, we're dealing with these issues. On the one hand, there is the organized religion approach, which... Um, those of us who were brought up within the Judeo-Christian tradition were looking for something else, and we thought, at least I thought, my, you know, a lot of people I know thought that Asian organized religion was different from Western organized religion, and that somehow Asian organized religion was better, and it had fewer of the foibles and liabilities of Western organized religion. But of course, the more we go into it, and in my case, the more I studied it, the more I realized that, you know, Organized religion is, the problem with organized religion is it's organized. And it's, you know, uh, and this is something that somebody like Max Weber, who's a founder of, you know, modern sociology of religion, really uh, made very clear that 
once you begin to organize, you have to organize according to principles and rules and regulations. You were talking about institutional organization. And, you know, you have to have, you know, gates and you have to have criteria for entry into a religion and you have to have, you know, ways of measuring progress. And the minute you do that, the journey of the individual is out, generally. And, uh, you know, the individual becomes um, subservient to the, the goals of the institution. We saw it in the West and we see it in Buddhism also. Same exact process, no difference. So for many of us, that's not going to work. You know, we simply can't take on the Asian organized religion as an alternative to Western organized religion because it doesn't produce the results. The other alternative, and by the way, in our community, we have that tendency. You know, all of us have the tendency to want to pull it together and pin it down and um, have some kind of security that I know what this lineage is, I know what the rules are. And I know, you know, once you know the rules, you can get in control of the situation because you just follow rules. And I want things to be more tidy, more coherent. You know, I don't want a new phase every year or two in this Sangha. I want the teachings to be laid out there, put them in a book, and I'll just do it. So we have that tendency in ourselves. We would like that. The other extreme that we have in our culture is, well, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to make my own journey. I'm going to, um, you know, this week it's jogging, you know, and maybe later it'll be shamanism. You know, I'll, I'll look into that. And then after that, I'll look into uh, Orthodox Christianity. And then maybe at a certain point along the way, I'll do some, you know, mescaline or we'll do some peyote or, and I'll just kind of put it together myself and fashion it. And the interesting thing is, um, I don't want to, you know, especially the drug thing, I don't want to put it down, you know, because I think, you know, all of us know that, it, you know, drugs, certain drugs can be helpful. They can be breakthrough, you know, uh, experiences. But one thing I have noticed, I have a few students who, who do take different kinds of drugs. And um, what I've noticed when it, it goes on for years, and particularly if they stop practicing, they don't grow. They simply do not grow. And so, you know, and these are people who are part of our community and, and they come to programs, but somehow there's something about taking, you know, when, when one takes, it's like the, the old saying, the patient who has himself, how does it go? The patient who has himself for a doctor, I don't know how it goes, but anyway, <laughs> the basic idea is that you can't be your own physician. Even if you're a good physician, you can't be your own physician because you, you can't see. You're blinded by your own um, agendas and your own needs, your own wants. And I think it's definitely true of spirituality. The problem with running your own journey is that you make decisions that are not based on actually what's the big picture. You make decisions based on the smaller picture. And of course, we see it in the culture at large. You know, there's so many people interested in spirituality, but they're simply unwilling to um, enter into otherness, you know, the otherness of a sangha or the otherness of a teacher, and they want to be in control. And I think it's, Trump Rinpoche talked about it all the time, but you know, obviously we have to check out what he says against experience, but in my experience, it doesn't really work either. So we have these two interesting things. Organized religion doesn't work, and I think 
you know, simply trying to um, do one's own thing doesn't really work either, at least as far as spirituality goes. As Rimshe used to say, the ego can't give up the ego. You can't witness your own death. You can't have a witness witnessing. The witness is the ego, the watcher. And you can't have a witness witnessing the dissolution of the ego. And when we engage in um, managing our own spiritual journey and, you know, putting one, cobbling one thing together after another, depending on how we're feeling, um, there's always a witness and there's always a watcher because the watcher is the one who's in control. It doesn't work. You know, where, as I was saying last night, where does that really leave us? And I think where it leaves us is back to the Buddha's original teaching before Buddhism began to become a lot more complicated and back to Trungpa Rinpoche's teaching, interestingly enough, before it became more complicated, which is that meditation is the beginning and the middle and the end of Buddhism and end of the Dharma, beginning, middle and the end of the Dharma. And if we, if we practice, something happens. And if we don't practice, not that much happens. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet, Cry of the Snow Lion.